As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So, Michael, how do you know you've made something that people want? <laughs> well, you probably see like a hockey stick curve, right? I, that could be true. I think there are probably ways to tell before that, though, right? <laughs> sure, I hope so. Uh, I, I mean, so me personally, I've always found the jobs be done framework just extremely useful in terms of helping us decide on what we should build. Oh, I love me some jobs to be done, and I think I see where this episode is going. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. In season four of Rocketship, we are diving into everything product and growth. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. 
The Jobs to be Done, or JTBD, as it's often referred to, it was made famous by Harvard Business School professor Clayton Christensen and innovative product thinker Bob Mesta. It's a way of looking at, let me guess, the motivations of customers in how they use a particular product rather than the traditional marketing techniques of slicing and dicing customers according to demographics. Right. I mean, people don't buy products just because they fall into a particular group or label. Exactly. Like you don't buy a Nike shirt because you're a mid-30s male who lives in an urban environment. You buy it because it solves a problem for you, like having something comfortable to wear in the gym. I actually just wear startup shirts to the gym. (laughs) All right. Okay. But you get my point. (laughs) Yes. If you understand the job that customers are hiring product to do, then you can make sure that you have razor sharp focus on helping them achieve the desired result. Right. So you're saying that the features that we choose to build should be ones that help them get the job done or the job that needs to be done. Right. The problems that people encounter, they rarely change from generation to generation. The products that they hire to solve these problems, that changes all the time. So when you're building or managing a new product, you have to believe that you can create a better solution that people will want to use because it delivers better outcomes for them. Oh, I I spoke with Jehu Patel, the chief product officer and chief strategy officer at Box about this exact thing, actually. Yeah, we we actually have this philosophy that we use, which is this notion of 10xing the capability for uh, the market. And the, the thinking over there is, If you build something that is not at least 10 times better than what the existing solution is, chances of you being able to motivate um, a customer or a user to move over to you is pretty small. You know, so 20% improvement on some some way of doing it, the existing, the inertia is so strong that you just won't be able to motivate people from moving over to you. So how do you then think about innovation at a 10x? Uh, the, the nice part about this 10x rule is it makes it very easy for what problems to focus on and which problems not to focus on. Because let's say you found a really big problem, but the solve that you have is only 20% better than what uh, what might currently be available in the market. Don't bother with trying to solve the problem. You know, um, it's um, I love that. As, so how do we um, get to that 10x solution? Anxieties. Anxieties. Exactly. Well. We spoke with Bob Mesta about identifying a customer's anxieties. Listen closely right here. This is awesome. The notion here is this, is that if I can understand what caused you to buy my condo, so I would actually, I only interview people who have already made the progress. So somebody who, I don't want to buy, interview somebody who wants to buy a house. I actually interview people who have already bought the house because in that process of doing so, they actually have all these forces that push them and pull them, but they also had anxieties along the way. They also had habits that they had to overcome. And what happens is, is when they're in the midst of it, they actually don't, none of those are as explicit or they're, they're, if you will, in the subconscious. But afterwards, you can actually pull them back and say like, yeah, this and this happened. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? And you just dig and you dig and you start to realize like, well, I was really worried about something. So how do we find out what those anxieties are? I'm actually just trying to get the truth. But what you realize is we start to actually, when when we, for, so we never talk to people who want to do something. We talk to people who have actually tried and either failed or made it, but they're, they're past the past the decision point. They've made some kind of commitment to do something because if I interview people who just want to buy a house and they're like, I'm, I'm in the market and I'm looking, what happens is you get, I want five bedrooms, I want three and a half baths, I want granite countertops, I want, they want, I want, I want, because there's no money involved. 
But the reality is when they purchase, there is no purchase that is ideal. Every purchase has a trade-off in it. And ultimately, I'm trying to use trade-offs to understand the hierarchy of what's important to them. So Bob had a great story to illustrate this about a friend who bought an $80,000 car. It's an $80,000 car, absolutely gorgeous. Drives up, I'm like, wow, this thing is beautiful. He goes, yeah, it's great. It's 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 gray. I'm like, wait, and it's is his face. I'm like, what? He goes like, well, you know, I wanted white. I'm like, but, but you just bought an $80,000 car and it's not the color you want? He goes, yeah, I had to wait two more weeks. Two weeks, that's it? He'd probably have the car for five to 10 years. Yep, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Well, it couldn't have been that important then. Like at some point, it's like if you could have waited two weeks, you could rent a car for that. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, and it's one of those things where it's like you start to realize, like we make trade-offs, and as much as it says, God, I really want white, and I would say white all the time. The, the reality is, they, he wanted the car, and he wanted to have, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that were at play, and despite the fact of what he said he wanted, he was able, willing to trade off, and so part of it is the value code of how people are. Cr- how these things are helping them make progress, that value code is embedded in all the trade-offs they make. So how does Bob usually go about getting this information? Well, the method is actually based on interrogation. So the method is really based on um, interrogation. And so it's both criminal and intelligence interrogation technique more than it is uh, interview and, and research. And so, and so we're, we're trying to actually build the timeline of why, you know, what caused people to get to this house. And so you, you, you figure out when they bought, but you back it all the way up. So the goal is to know when they first thought about the purchase all the way through when they actually made the purchase. In this, you start to identify the anxieties that surround the purchase decision and determine why they ultimately made the decisions that they made. A strong understanding of what customers want and how they currently get it is essential for you to succeed in product management. Maybe your customers want to be entertained or spend more time with their friends or understand what projects teammates are working on, or maybe they want to be able to make future projections for the business. I assume if the desired outcome is real, then they are already achieving it in some way. Outcome is really important here. If you can't find what product they're currently using, chances are It's a fictitious outcome and not the actual anxiety you're trying to get to the root of. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, 
check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. Now, back to the show. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I could just push a button and an app would know exactly what I wanted for lunch? Or maybe an aspirational outcome, like I want to lose weight, right? These are called espoused values, and they rarely reflect reality unless they are backed up by behaved values. So we want to focus on the outcome or the behaved value. And this lets you understand your real competitors. And that might be a pen and paper for a to-do app. Exactly. It's not always technology versus technology, right? And that's exactly what what Ben Leonard of Wonderlist and now Microsoft said about their main competition at the time. Uh, The biggest experience currently that we're competing with is not software. It's actually pen and paper. Um, So a lot of people still write down their to-dos on on paper with a pen. Um, So when we design new features or improved features for Wunderlist, we always look at at that experience. And when you saw the latest updates with our quick ad um, on on the mobile, we really try to make the, the capturing as quickly as possible so that we kind of get the immediacy um, of pen and paper um, and, and kind of the lightfulness of pen and paper, but then we combine it with things like natural language detection. So you can actually um, add a reminder by just typing buy milk tomorrow at 6 p.m. Um, and then you get reminded. So there we add kind of the power of, of the software. That's one, one big inspiration for us. So what's another example of this in the real world? Yeah, so I talked with Eric White, um, who's he's a jobs to be done consultant. He's he's really well known inside of the jobs to be done community. And last year, he told me the story about developers who had brought Bob Mesta in to help them sell condo units in Detroit. They'd done focus groups with potential buyers, and features like bay windows would come up, and the buyers were like, "Yes, we need bay windows." But I think I can see where this is going. I bet the sales didn't move, did they? Not until they brought in Bob Mesta. He went right to interview the people who had already bought the condominiums, not the people who were thinking about buying the condominiums. And he started to build a timeline from when they purchased all the way back to when they started thinking about it. Here's Eric White. When he started talking to people, and he, you know, he would frame he would frame the purchase around when they bought it, but then he would go back to when did they have their first thought about it. Ninety percent of the time, people were having their first thought about moving into a condominium around the holidays, and it sounded to me like it had a lot to do with you know kids would come home, they'd bring the grandkids, they'd spend a couple of days, they would leave, and then the house just felt really big and empty, and they started thinking, oh, this isn't this isn't the way that we want to spend the next several years of our lives. Maybe we should. Maybe we should move somewhere different. So there wasn't a clear customer profile for a buyer. Generally, it's just someone who was downsizing and whose children had recently moved out. Other than that, it was tough to identify why they were or were not buying these condos. So what was the big revelation? 
So over the holidays that year, Bob was sitting around his dining room table. Now, this is something that we all do around the holidays, right? To eat dinner together, to share a meal. We also do that around every big celebration and even the small tasks each day, like helping children with their homework. These buyers had years and years of history built up around this dining room table. But when he went to interview them, this never actually came up. So what would happen during this deciding phase? What I found is that it was really common for people to have this dining room table that if the dining room table wasn't going to fit in the condo and if none of their kids were going to take it, they felt like they, they just weren't willing to get rid of it. They were not going to take that dining room table and put it on the, the curb. They were not going to take it to goodwill because there was so much family identity and experience wrapped up in that. You know, they look at the dining room table and they're thinking about birthday parties. And um, I, you know, I remember when I was a kid and, and a teenager, and my parents needed to sit me down and have a very serious conversation with me. It always happened around the dining room table, and so there was all this family identity that was wrapped up in it. That people just—it was this huge friction point. Um, that caused people to, to pause or just not go forward with moving from their old house to the, to the new condo. So what started out as trying to determine what features or what construction was needed for people to buy through the jobs be done method, he actually identified their anxieties and got to the root of why they weren't buying. Yeah, Jeff Bezos is famous for saying, focus on the things that don't change because the problems people and businesses encounter don't change very often, but the ways that they can be solved change constantly. So when you're building a product, keep in mind, it's easier to make things people want than to make people want things. If you want to find out more about rocketship.fm, go to rocketship.fm. It's pretty simple, right? We, you can sign up for our newsletter. We have partnered with Product Collective, Mike Belsito's company, to bring you even more content each week. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you're going to get content from Rocketship FM. You're also going to get detailed product content from Product Collective, which is incredibly valuable. And as entrepreneurs, it's one of the most important topics for us to stay up on. So go to rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoy this content, leave us a quick review um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple days. You can't find what product they're currently using. The chances that it's a fictitious outcome and not the anxiety you're trying to get. Oh, the chance. Sorry. The chance is that it's a fictitious outcome and not the actual anxiety you're trying to get to the root of here. How, How about if I say chances are it's a fictitious outcome? Yes, that works too.